think of all of these behaviors, whether it's manifest as a substance use challenge or as a behavior, I'm overeating, I'm addicted to gambling, I'm addicted to sex, pick your thing. They're just manifestations of things that we're holding on the inside. They're manifestations of repetitive thought patterns and belief systems. And sometimes with a psychedelic in a specific setting, we can break those patterns. So again, they're not a cure, they're a catalyst. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to The Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci, and today's episode is going to be a little bit unusual, a little outside the box, because today we are going to talk about psychedelics and the responsible use of psychedelics. Of course, you are at the author's corner after all. But we are going to talk about the experience of psychedelics and how people have utilized this in a responsible way to expand their minds and even to heal. And the reason I invited our guest today is that I found it interesting that there are parallels between some of the experiences that our guest is going to describe today and also what happens when we sit down to write? So it is without further ado that I'm pleased to introduce to you Matt Zeman. Now, Matt is a dedicated explorer of the inner world uh, and a passionate advocate for the thoughtful and responsible use of psychedelics. He has a Master's of Science in Psychology and Neuroscience of Mental Health with honors from King's College of London. Matt has studied the effects of psychedelics on the mind and the potential for these experiences to serve as a catalyst for positive transformations. Matt is the author of the Amazon bestseller, Psychedelics for Everyone, a beginner's guide to these powerful medicines for anxiety, depression, addiction, PTSD, and expanding consciousness. As an entrepreneur in the well-being sector, Matt has co-founded various companies, including Happy, a mental wellness company specializing in psychedelic-assisted ketamine therapy, Psychable, an online community connecting people who would like to explore the healing power of psychedelics with a network of practitioners and psychedelic-based treatments, and Take Two Minutes, a nonprofit dedicated to helping individuals improve their mental health and well-being. And like I indicated a few seconds ago, our conversation today is going to be not only focused on psychedelics, but we're going to be talking also in parallel about the journey of inner inquiry and curiosity that it takes to become an author. Enjoy. So Matt, welcome to the Author's Corner. Robin, it's good to be here. How are you today? I'm doing great. And how about yourself? Oh, doing really well. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you for coming to join us today because I think it was probably somebody who represents you who reached out to us about having you on as a guest. And I thought, what an interesting topic, psychedelics and, you know, using, utilizing psychedelics for personal healing, for personal growth, for personal inquiry. 
And I thought, what an interesting thing to talk about in the context of becoming an author, in the context of mm -hmm. writing, in the context of, I, I guess, you know, I'll just say quickly, I, I think of the journey of authorship as one of self-discovery. And that is also what you write about with psychedelics being a, a journey of self-discovery. So share with our, re our listeners a little bit. I See, I always want to say readers. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because they're authors. Yes, I, I get Gotta that. I remember what media I'm mm -hmm. in here. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how you came to be an advocate for utilizing psychedelics in a therapeutic way. I appreciate that. Um, and it's, it is exciting. I, I like your audience in particular, I feel. I mean, there's there's so many things about being an author. There's certainly the creative aspect. There's the discipline and the process of actually just getting it done, getting this project across the finish line and moving all the things we have to do to adjust our schedules to make a book happen. And then there's the finding your voice. And I think all of that is... um. Yeah, it's mm. a powerful journey for many people. Um, I fell into this, Robin. I had some friends who invited me to do a guided magic mushroom journey, and I was like, mm, "No, I don't think so." I wasn't a drug user at all. I, I actually, I, I grew up in the in the seventies and in, in the just say no period, and it worked on me. I, oh, so I, the late seventies, late seventies. Yeah, I was born. Uh, I was born seventy two, <laughs> late seventy, early eighties, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just it it wasn't for I believed it. I didn't do drugs. I mm -hmm. didn't drink all that much. Um, I, I I'm pretty much a control oriented person, and so this this experience was so foreign. Um, or to agree to allow myself to get into a six hour non ordinary state of consciousness was a very strange decision, but one that completely changed the way I look and interact with the world. In that first journey, I reconnected with my mom who died when I was 22. She was mm. 49. Mm. I um I realized. I was afraid of dying myself. I realized um, how safe and loved I felt on the psychedelics and then conversely how I didn't feel that safe and loved in my everyday life. Mm -hmm. And uh, it led me into saying, I, I need to learn more about these molecules. And I went back to school to get a master's in uh, the psychology and neuroscience of mental health wow. and then wrote this book and then have been on this just journey trying a, a number of different psychedelics in a variety of settings and uh, yeah, and, and continuing the, the journey of self-exploration. Wow. So it inspired you to go get a master's degree. That is pretty significant. It was. I, I, I can't even tell you how mind expanding this first psychedelic journey was for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us more, like, what's a cool story of, you know, of, of somebody that you've counseled or, you know, of course, anonymous, uh, not, you don't have to tell us. <laughs> no names. Right. You don't have to tell us who they were, but yeah, I'm just curious, like what stands out to you as, I mean, I'm sure that every story is extraordinary. They really are. I'm, I'm actually speaking at the, uh, there's a conference coming up in Miami called Wonderland. And I'll be speaking there mm. um, on a panel and bring, uh, actually I'm hosting a panel of five people who just talk about their transformational stories with uh, with psychedelics. But one thing I think that relates to your audience, I mean, I hear this a lot. Um, I spend a lot of my time actually in the ceremonial space versus the medical. Mm. So let me just pause and explain oh, that yeah. for a moment. Sure. There are kind of three different ways that people meet psychedelics in America. Mm -hmm. Some say, I want a medical experience. I would like a doctor to diagnose me. I'd like a prescription in America that means 
ketamine for the most part. Hmm. And I want to have that, um, the oversight of a medical professional. Totally respect that. I think that's beautiful. We're seeing in America, and sticking on the medical model for a moment, things like MDMA, which uh, you might remember as ecstasy when mm-hmm. we were kids. Um, mm-hmm. They just finished the phase three clinical trials of MDMA uh, with people with treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes, I was, I was, I was, Amazing. I just got a chill because I was thinking, I bet he's going to talk about PTSD because I know a vet who went through that and it, it completely changed his life and improved his life. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. That's great. Yeah, they had, it was like 67% no longer qualified as having PTSD after those sessions. Mm. 88% had a clinically significant improvement in symptoms. So, I mean, it's tremendous results. So in the medical model, we have ketamine today. We should have MDMA by the beginning of next year Mm. and psilocybin, I don't know, a year or two after that. Mm -hmm. Certain states are moving ahead. Oregon has has created a medical framework. Um, Colorado has just voted that in the last election. So all sorts of things are happening Mm. at the state level and the Mm. federal level. So that's kind of the medical model. The second model is like the recreational or the decriminalization model. These are people Mm. who say, you know what? No adult should tell another adult what they can or can't put in their body when it comes to nature. Mm -hmm. I respect that. That's a a different mindset. Sometimes those two sides clash a little bit, but it's an and in my opinion. These things can go hand in hand and Mm -hmm. both again in Oregon and Colorado, they decriminalized a number of medicines and they created a medical framework, which really important when it comes to access. There are people who just can't afford the medical model model and mm-hmm. having things decriminalized gives more access. Right. The third model is the religious freedom model. This one I think is beautiful. We're in a country that was founded on religious freedom. Most of our states have religious freedom clauses and protections in our constitutions. And these are people, and there's over 200 psychedelic churches in America now that say, Mm -hmm. okay, we should be, psychedelics have been used for thousands of years for spiritual connection, and we should be allowed to use it for that purpose. Mm -hmm. I work mostly in that ladder and and a lot just trying to take the best practices of the medical community, move them over to the spiritual, the best practices of the spiritual, move them over to medical. Mm-hmm. So in the spiritual, we get a ton of people who come in and say, I'm trying to find my voice. I'm, I'm figuring out what this next chapter looks like. I'm not sure really in who I am. I'm feeling disconnected from my religion of origin. I'm feeling disconnected from a higher power. I'm feeling disconnected from friends. I'm feeling alone. Mm. And I think that probably relates to a number of people in your audience. Mm. And these psychedelics, when you take this and you have this planned journey, you can remember who you are. You can remember that you're loved. You can remember that you're enough. You can remember that you are powerful. I think it's. I think it can be tremendously uh, um, healing and life changing for many, many people who choose to do this. So, what do you think is the biggest myth around psychedelics, or the biggest myths? Myths, plural. <laughs> yes. I mean, certainly any of us who grew up in the just say no era, we we were we were told that these drugs are bad. They're going to fry your brain. They have no medicinal use. And all of those things we can debunk. Um, Are they bad? Well, if you look at psychedelic drugs versus legal drugs like alcohol, like tobacco, (laughs) like sugar, um, (laughs) it does less harm both to yourself and to others. If you say um, it's going to melt your brain, not true. Just not true. It has Mm -hmm. no medical use. We know that's not true. We're seeing Mm -hmm. study after study after study disproving that. So those would just be three three examples right off the, the top of my head. Yeah, those would be three to start with. And are psychedelics also 
they're, they're not addictive, or are they? What is the ruling on that? So most psychedelics are actually anti-addictive, mm. um, which means you give them to a rodent and you then give them the choice of, of a psychedelic or food. They're going to take food. There's a couple notable exceptions, though. Ketamine, which again, ironically, is the only legal one, has shown to be addictive in some animal tests. And in recreational settings, people have definitely gotten, gotten addicted. We're not seeing that so much in a medical setting, mm -hmm. but it is certainly something for people to be, to be aware of as they, um, as they consider what, what psychedelics write for them. And then the other one would be um, MDMA um, has had some addictive potential, but again, um, it's it's just something again to be careful of. And those are those are more pharmaceuticals, right? Versus like psilocybin mushrooms, psilocybin, or, yeah, or ayahuasca, ayahuasca or iboga. Right. Um, yeah, those would be completely non. Those plant-based ones are are non-addictive. Hi there, Robin here. Have you been considering writing a thought leadership book that grows your business? How about writing a quality standout book with a real book publishing deal behind it that not only grows your business, but also grows your influence and reach? In case you're new to the author's corner, my name is Robin Colucci, and I help world-class experts write world-changing books and get them published. With over 30 years in the publishing industry, I've helped clients write and publish books with Big Five and other top publishing houses. Many have gone on to become New York Times, Amazon, and Wall Street Journal, as well as USA Today bestsellers. And others have increased their business income by 600 times or more as a result of their book being out in the world and the partnering work that they did with me and my team. If you are a top-notch expert who is ready to write your world-changing book, Go ahead and book a free consultation call with my team today. We have a limited number of spots available, and we only take clients who are committed to the process and want to get their book started now. If that sounds like you, go to www.robincolucci.com forward slash application. Go ahead and fill out the application form to be considered for one of our exclusive spots. Again. The link is www.robincolucci.com forward slash application. Now, back to the show. All right, so let's talk about how you see the parallels between the journey of self-discovery utilizing psychedelics and the journey of inquiry that goes into becoming an author. So I think one thing authors do that's really impressive is they've kind of have to turn off the outside world to do their job. They can get all the influence and inspiration from everywhere they look and from whatever topic it is that they're going to write about. But then at some point, it's got to be them and a keyboard or them and a pad, and they've got to just do it. And um, I think that's, that is, makes uh, authors kind of an extraordinary breed of person. I think that's especially for the volume that, in which they have to, to do. I think what's interesting about psychedelic that's similar is it does some things to your brain pharmacologically, pharmacologically that are kind of similar to the path an author might take. So the first thing it's going to do is it's going to shut down or quiet down your default mode network. So that's the part of the brain that's your inner narrator, the part that says, Robin, you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not working hard enough. You can do more. You can be a better this, that, or the other thing. Uh, your mom wouldn't like that. Your dad wouldn't like that. Your partner wouldn't like that. It turns that down mm -hmm. and that quiet is a really radical feeling because we're just not used to having that quiet. So it's kind of like turning the outside world off. It then allows uh, neurons to fire 
that don't normally fire together, but maybe did when you were a kid. So as we get older, we literally get into repetitive thinking patterns. Um, the analogy I use a lot is just picture skiing down a mountain and track after track, run after run, year after year, the track just gets deeper mm -hmm. and we're less likely to move to other parts of that run. Mm -hmm. The psychedelic medicine throws a fresh coat of powder on the hill and all of a sudden you can ski across the whole run again and you just forgot you could do that. Mm. Well, that's, I mean, it's kind of like an author connecting dots that other people aren't seeing. Mm. And now all of a sudden they're connecting, their, their brain is literally lit up with connections that aren't normally there and they're able to think differently for this period of time. Psychedelics then create a, a period of neuroplasticity where your mind is, is growing new neurons and is... Um, is amenable for change. And this is really powerful. I don't, I, I, psychedelics aren't a cure for anything, but they're a catalyst. So you have this time where you're experiencing this, the mind is quiet, things are firing, all sorts of new ideas. And then as you leave that, you can take those memories of that experience with you and say, okay, I want to think differently about this, or I want to behave differently about this. I'll throw one more thing that, that many psychedelics do is it removes this notion of shame, blame, and guilt and allows you to relook at things that have happened in your life, um, either by you or to you, mm -hmm. without having the reaction, without having the defense. Just look at it. And again, that reminds me of what authors do all the time, is they're able to look at pieces of history or imagine scenarios or stories in ways that others don't, sometimes because it is personal that's driven them to that topic, but with a detach enough detachment that they can capture it in words. And... um. I think a psychedelic, when it removes those sh that shame, blame, and guilt, again, allows you to look at yourself with enough attachment that you can capture it in thought and maybe heal some of the heart or the emotional injuries that are in there and then move forward. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, um, well, a couple of things are, I actually, I did experiment a little bit with psychedelics in my younger days and um, the confession of the host. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I had a very unexpected experience of it was the first time I acknowledged to anyone, including myself, that my parents' divorce ever bothered me, right? And it enabled me to confront that, and and I wasn't aware how much of of how much of me it was driving mm -hmm. to try to keep that covered up because I didn't want anybody to have to deal with my grief, you know, right? As all kids are worried about that kind of stuff, I think. Um, a lot of what you're saying too is reminding me of benefits of a meditation practice, right? Of being able to look at things in a detached way, not letting your mind run away with you. Um, yeah, wh what do you have to say about that? So I'm gonna, I want to take on both things. So first, thank you for sharing about the high school experience. Um, it sounds beautiful. It sounds like it was it was healing. It sounds like you were able to uh, to express some things that you were bottling up, and it sounds like you were able to move forward with that. I think it's amazing how much stuff we hold on to mm -hmm. for not just weeks or months or years, but decades. And for at least me and my psychedelic journey, I am constantly surprised of the things that are brought up um, in these ceremonies. It's like, oh, I, I haven't looked at that. Oh, you have the example, like just a recent ceremony. I had this vision or uh, experience of, re of holding my dad's hand like a hundred times. Mm. He died when I was 19. So, I mean, it's been 40 some years. Mm. And, um, and he, was a, he was a severe alcoholic and had some definite challenges. But in that journey, I was able to see how he in his own way was trying to show me that he loved me. Mm. 
And I didn't realize how much I was questioning that until I felt it. And it's like, okay, that's really nice to know. It's something I wasn't able to ask him as an adult, but um, but I could experience it. Um, and I think people with, with all sorts of traumas and life experiences can find that type of uh, relief with psychedelics. And then I lost track of your second question. The parallels to meditation practice. Yep. I liked the theory of meditating, but I was an awful meditator. I could do maybe <laughs> 10 minutes and um, it felt like torture. Huh. Um, after psychedelics, now that I can kind of see what does it feel like to calm the mind? What does it feel like to have awareness of thoughts as it passes through and not get attached to them, but just observe them? What does it feel like to kind of come out of your body? Mm -hmm. um, I can get there now with a meditative mm -hmm. practice. So it's interesting. So my book is called Psychedelics for Everyone. I don't mean everyone should take a psychedelic. I want to be super clear on that. Um, there are definitely people who are taking certain medications. There are people with specific mental or physical challenges that they're not a good candidate, and that's okay. Um, there's lots that you can get there with holotropic breath work. You can get there with meditation. People get there with running. There's all sorts of ways to do this. This technology, for those who can take it, this technology is just one that you can meditate a long time without having a breakthrough. You're mm -hmm. pretty much, you take enough psilocybin, you're going to have a, uh, <laughs> you're going to have an experience. Yes, you will. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you will probably laugh. <laughs> there is a lot of laughter. There's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of tears. It's all kind of the beautiful yeah. range of human expression that mm -hmm. happens with, uh, with psychedelic experiences. Yeah. But I think that that's a good point too, because it's interesting. I wonder if there's ever been any studies on the, what goes on neurologically in the brain when somebody's in a deep meditative state or when somebody's in a psychedelic state. Have, have you there seen are. anything on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So Imperial College, Imperial College, London, University of California, um, San Francisco. Yeah. There's some really, uh, Robin Carhart Harris is probably the the lead scholar in the sphere, but it's, it's fascinating. There's lots of similarities between long-term meditators Huh. And what, how that impacts your, your mind and people you having a psychedelic experience. Um, lots of, lots of things out there and more coming. And that's kind of the beauty of like, we were just leaving this prohibition. Mm -hmm. um, and the prohibition has mm -hmm. been almost 50 years. It's a yeah. long time. Mm -hmm. So there were thousands of papers done on psychedelics before the prohibition or the specifically the Controlled Substances Act of 1970. Right. And now we're seeing a, uh, I think last I looked, there were 309 academic institutions studying psychedelics uh, right now. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely mm -hmm. a renaissance in terms of uh, literature. And that makes sense because the, the early research was promising. So promising. And some things that we wouldn't think about, like uh, alcohol use, as an example. Mm. Um, it, it's kind of counterintuitive to think that, oh, I'm going to use a medicine like LSD to break a substance use challenge <laughs> for, let's say, alcohol. Right. But Bill W., the person who founded Alcoholics Anonymous, was a big proponent of using LSD to help. He has a 12-step program. And the first step is to surrender yourself to a higher power. Mm. And his thesis was, okay, well, that's going to be hard for a lot of people who are quote-unquote drunks was the language he used of the day. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, but if we can give them some LSD, they can have a forced spiritual experience. Mm. And that would be a way to kick off that first step. Mm -hmm. And he argued vehemently, uh, did not win with his AA organization, but he tried. Um, <laughs> but we're seeing studies now with alcohol, with smoking. Johns Hopkins has done some things on smoking research where using, um, I believe it's psilocybin is what they're using for that. I mean, it's like twice as effective as the best solution on the market today. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge improvement. Iboga or Ibogaine is being used for people with opioid disorders. 
and having tremendous results. So it's it's really interesting when we think of all of these behaviors, whether it's a substance use, uh, and whether manifest and manifest as a substance use challenge or as a behavior. I'm overeating. I'm addicted to gambling. I'm addicted to sex. I'm gonna pick your thing. Yeah, they're just manifestations of things that we're holding on the inside. They're manifestations of repetitive thought patterns and belief systems. And sometimes with a psychedelic in a specific setting, we can break those patterns. So again, they're not a cure. They're a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, I, I was one of my clients wrote a, a wonderful book called Exit the Maze, and it's uh, one cause, one addiction, one cure. Mm. She's not a writing about psychedelics, but she is writing about how every addiction has at its root cause some sort of psychic pain or, or disturbance, right? And that no matter how it manifests, it's the same disease. And I love that. I love that, especially for... Um... It's also interesting that as a culture, we look down upon certain things right. and we, we reward, we have a, uh, we reward people who have other, who, have, for instance, if someone is depressed and can't get out of bed, we're like, oh, that poor person, they're not being productive. They're not living their life. But if someone's manic and cranking through hundreds of pages of their manuscript, we don't say, well, wait, that poor person, they're or not a living workaholic, their right? Or in workaholic, right? In our capitalist Absolutely. society, like yes. they, we're praised for being workaholics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, it, and they're both, they can both be manifestations of addictions, different kinds of addictions, but they're all the same addiction. Yeah. Her name's Donna Marks, by the way. <laughs> if anybody, that sounds fascinating. Really, I'm really, going to have to pick that book up. Really good book. And what I really love about it is her, you know, her, her point of view is that you can cure an addiction, that it's not like you're always an addict, that if you do the work and heal enough on the inside, you actually can no longer be an addict. I like that. I know that would be controversial in some circles, but yes. um, but that yeah. certainly seems, rings true to me. And I, and I think it's, you are curing the trauma. You are curing the the mm-hmm. root instead of the symptom. And the symptom in that case is the behavior of pick your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But can you, um, Gabor Mate writes in many books on this topic, the wisdom of trauma is one that I think is just beautifully written and and does a lot of work with a variety of, of groups that express trauma in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How fascinating. This is uh, so fascinating. <laughs> it's not your normal Friday for you, Robin. No, not, not a normal Friday for me. So, um, you know, I've had some extraordinary experiences through meditation, which, as you say, some of them are not that different (laughs) in terms of, you know, seeing the world, you know, you're seeing what's in front of you, but you're seeing things that you can't always necessarily perceive without being in a certain state of mind or a state of being, I guess I should say, (laughs) since we're talking meditation. Yeah. So, and that has been tremendously helpful to me in terms of all the chatter and <laughs> of course, and the awareness and the, and it's, it's, it's lovely when you know that you're okay here, yeah. there's beauty all around you, period. Uh-huh. And we don't need to assign, this is good. This is bad. Cause we don't know. Yeah, exactly. We don't know. It just is. And it feels, and the feeling itself is a teacher mm-hmm. and it's, uh, mm-hmm. it, there, yeah, there's, I mean, we, it, for, so it sounds like you were lucky. You found a spiritual or you, sorry, not lucky. You manifested a spiritual teacher in your life who has been able to help you in this process. And that's beautiful. And that's a, a lovely way to, to walk this path. Yeah, absolutely. I feel very, mm-hmm. very, very fortunate. And, you know, and it has, I think, when I think about going through any process of growth, right, which being an author is definitely a process of growth, 
you know, and we all hit those moments, right? Where we're like, I'm never going to get this done. It's always going to feel <laughs> this way, you know? And I think that, you know, having a meditation practice or some way to pull yourself out of that, get some perspective and say, okay, this is a moment, you know, watch yourself, right? I, I can watch myself having the experience of, you know, <laughs> The monkey mind just going, yeah, exactly. going around and around and uh, around, which takes you away from the work you want to do. Yeah, exactly. And it can, can steal tremendous amounts of energy. And if you really start fixating on something negative and you are a manifesting type person like I am, like that can be particularly difficult because mm -hmm. <laughs> you do get more of what you focus on. Absolutely. You feed that beast and it'll, it'll keep getting bigger. So, so it's really about shifting that, you know, focus on. Anytime I catch myself doing that, I just, I go straight to... What am I grateful for? Hmm. Is that your practice? You do a gratitude practice? When I have to get out of that, if I start getting on a loop, like a negative loop, that's the thing I know is going to just pull me right out of it. So I'm grateful for my health, where I live, my children, my pug, my, the rest of my family, my mm -hmm. friends, you know, the sun, like, you know, whatever. It and next thing I know, I'm out of that, that negative cycle, you know. What do you do? Well, first, I, mean, I think the gratitude practices are beautiful. Mm -hmm. It can be as simple, in my opinion, as a, as a three good things exercise. Just mm -hmm. don't, don't make it complicated. What are three things you're grateful for today mm -hmm. and why? Mm -hmm. Or what was your role in them? And yeah. that's an easy one. Um, or you can do the journaling and the gratitude, like you said. And I also like the uh, the loving kindness exercises mm -hmm. where it's uh, you're just wishing. I just I'm thinking about my friends or my family or my enemies and wishing them love, wishing yeah. them health, wishing them success and truly visualizing them as, as I think through and smiling and truly trying to send that love out. I think those are so either focusing inside. I really do feel grateful for or external. I'm going to project some love into the world. Yeah. Either of those two practices for Beautiful. me. Almost that's, always get yeah, me to a good a place. Great one. That's a Buddhist practice, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's it's yeah. in it's a the Hindi a Hindu, yeah, it's, Hindu it's also, in a number yeah. of different uh, Yeah, slightly um, different angle on it, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Same yeah. ideas. Which again, a lot of these, a lot of all of this actually goes back to thousands of years before Christ. It's the, uh, these are just, I mean, wisdoms from multiple traditions, multiple places, but we didn't need a scientist to say, okay, this is, um, it takes, if you think about what you're grateful for, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be happier. It's in the yoga sutras of, uh, Pujanjali, am I saying correctly, is, uh, yeah, it's, it's lots of ancient texts point us in that direction too. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, even a lot of teaching from some of the other religions mm -hmm. that are a little younger, you know, reflect those, those core principles too. So I think that there's, for anybody, there's, there's a path to find a focus. Uh, I love that you say that there was a, um, <clears throat> there was a big psychedelic science conference in Denver back in June and um, over 12,000 people showed up Wow! when, and I think the least expensive ticket was almost a thousand dollars. Wow. So I mean, it was a big conference and they had a, an academic track and a business track and a spiritual track. And on mm. the spiritual track, there was psychedelics in Judaism, psychedelics in Islam, psychedelics in Christianity, Israeli-Palestinian conflict and psychedelics, psychedelics in uh, the Unitarian Church was there. Uh, There's a member from the Star King um, Seminary who they're launching the first certificate in entheogenic ministry, um, huh. which is wild. Um, so yes, I mean, it, there's lots of... Many from whatever cultural background we come from, mm -hmm. there is a there's certainly a lineage towards the sorry there's wisdom about gratitude and kindness, and I believe there's also a psychedelic lineage. And we talk a lot about how um, we don't need to put that in the other category. It's not just for the Native Americans or Indigenous people of Central or South America. 
There are shaman in Siberia. There's mushrooms in every continent besides Antarctica. There's tribes in, in Africa. Um, there are witches burned all throughout Europe for practicing psychedelic practices. There's a theory by an, by an author who wrote um, The Immortality Key that Christianity spread in the first 400 years because they took the ancient ritual from Greece that had been practiced for 2,000 years, took the psychedelic and brought it underground. And literally that was the communion which allowed their their sect of Christianity to grow. So there's, again, it doesn't have to be an other, it can be an R for all right. of our lineage yeah. and backgrounds. Isn't it so interesting how you know humans scatter all over the planet? And we're talking thousands of years ago when there was no way that there could be communication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. between indigenous peoples in North America, what is now known as North America and, and, and Greeks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, you know, people in, in Africa. But it's like in every part of the world, humans found this modality. It's interesting. They did. And then the actual, um, these modalities, you're right. Um, mm -hmm. the, and sticking with psychedelics, the actual psychedelic itself or entheogen. I'm going to I'm going to stick with that entheogen term because I do believe for most cultures, it, it was never recreational. It was always about healing. Mm. And back in the back before Western culture, there is only healer. And the healer was both the medicine man and the spiritual healer. Mm -hmm. If our culture have, person, has separated, yeah. yeah, separated those outward. Oh, the doctors are pure science and the spiritual people are pure spiritual. But with something like a psychedelic that straddles both, we get into a really complex argument where I get it. If you're to say, oh, that these belong to the hands of the spiritual people, well, it would be fair to argue that they don't know the latest science about my mind and my body and how to keep me safe. And conversely, you say, well, this should belong to science. Well, they don't know much about the spiritual realms and how these things interact and how these things play and how that world works to keep me safe. Mm -hmm. And it, mm -hmm. is, uh, it is lovely that we're entering a time where many of these uh, um, practices are being, are being allowed to be shared so that mm -hmm. both the spiritual and the medical can operate with the latest science, the latest information to do the best that they can to reduce the risks and increase the possibilities of great outcomes from these medicines. Wow. That, that was so well said. I think I'm going to go next to my final question because okay, I don't know that we okay. can top that one. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so Matt, what have I not asked you today that you would love to answer? Hmm, that's, <laughs> that's a trick question. <laughs> um, I think I'd like just to take one more cautionary minute then with your audience and just say, again, my book is psychedelics for everyone. I don't mean that everyone should take a psychedelic. Um, what I do mean is it's worth everybody understanding how these medicines have been used for thousands of years, and maybe whether that is for how they can help you as a person, how it can help someone you love as a person, or just how you might vote in the next election. It's important to have this information so that you can you can keep yourself safe, keep your neighbor safe, keep our world safe. Um, yeah, I think that's what I'd say. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming here to share about all this fascinating work and information here on The Author's Corner. Rob, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.